0: Romans chapter eight. Are you there? I'm not. <laughs> I had a um, experience some years ago that really kind of opened my eyes to to some things. um. I walked in the prayer house probably, well, this is probably five years ago. I walked in the prayer house and uh, I was about 10, 15 minutes late. The prayer meeting was already going and there was probably at that time 40 or maybe 30, 40, 50 per- people praying, just kind of walking in a circle and praying. And I walked in late and, and Bill kind of greeted me at the door and he hands me this, um, it looked like an envelope, but it turned out to be a check folded in half. And I said, oh, thank you. And I started putting it in my pocket and he says, why don't you look at it? So, I opened it up and I'm like, and things were, you know, we were going through a really tight financial time. Anyone ever had that happen in their life? Of course not. No, we were all born wealthy. We we're just going through a really tough time and things were really tight. And I opened up this this uh, folded in half check. I opened it up and it was a check for three thousand dollars. And I go, and you know, it was just like this spiritual atmosphere. And I said, "Oh my gosh, someone just gave me a check for three thousand dollars!" I yelled in the prayer meeting. <laughs> you guys are figuring me out, right? And so Bill goes, you better look again. And I looked, up, I looked down at the check again, and it was for $30,000. Someone had given me $30,000. I'm not kidding you. I almost needed like life support. I was like, Huh someone gave me $30,000. And I mean, it was like the most money I'd ever had personally, you know, at one point in my life. And and so I was like, and I looked down at this guy, this the signature, and I didn't know the guy. And it turns out that I taught a class uh, on a Wednesday night, and this guy was new to our church, him and his family was new to our church, and he just, um, and, and he received an inheritance, his father died, and he received an inheritance, and one night he has a dream, and in the dream the Lord tells him to give us a, a piece of his inheritance, $30,000, so We wrote him a really nice note, didn't know who he was, and someone pointed pointed him out to us, and obviously we wrote him a really nice thank you note. But a really strange thing happened. Now, I I know it's going to be hard to understand, but I didn't realize this was happening. Wherever I'll call him John, wherever John was, I wasn't. So if I walked in the sanctuary and our church is, I don't know, it's... Four or five times larger than this, uh, than this uh, sanctuary. But wherever, whenever I'd come into sanctuary, if I see John over there, I'd go around and come in this way. If I'd see, if I walked into the office and I saw John in the office over there, I'd go the other way. Now I didn't know I was doing that. This went on for months, and one day I was sitting in the front row and uh, during uh, the service and Bill was preaching and. He just, I thought any minute he's going to finish, and he just kept going on longer and longer. I had to go to the bathroom really bad, and I finally thought, well, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. So I ran out the double doors, uh, to the, and it was like one of those times I'd waited way too long because I kept thinking, it's one of those, you know, Bill has five clothes. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I'm like, any second he's going to be... And so I just finally forget it. So I ran out the side door, and I ran into the bathroom. It was one of those times like, oh, I hope I make it. And I opened the door, and John's there. But his back's to me. So I close the door and I take off running and the next bathroom is like 30,000 square feet away. So I'm running to the next bathroom and I have this this sudden thought. There's something wrong with me. (laughs) Now, I know it seems obvious, but it didn't seem obvious. You know, somebody once said adversity introduces a man to himself. And I had just been introduced to myself. You know, the lowest level of life is that you're unconsciously ignorant. It means that you don't know That you don't know. The next level of life is that you're consciously ignorant. It means you know that you don't know. (laughs) I don't know if you got that. (laughs) And I just moved up a level. I went from you don't know that you don't know to you know that you don't know. I don't know if you got that. But anyway, so I ended up, you know, at the, at the end of the day, the service was over, and I went home. You know, denial is a beautiful thing. <laughs> I get home that night, and I'm laying in bed, and I, can't, and I can't sleep. Because I had suddenly been introduced to myself. I know it sounds crazy, but I didn't actually know that I was doing that. Until I ended up in the bathroom with John, and, started, and ran all the way across the parking lot to the next bathroom, that it occurred to me that something was wrong with me. And so I laid in bed all night, and, I, you know, and I'll tell you, I, I, I won't forget this, we were living on a, in this little house in, uh, in, in, uh, in Reading on Olive Street. I was laying there, and I was laying there. Have you ever thought yourself, you, you think, and you think, and you think, until you think yourself into a corner? I thought so long, the sun was coming up. And then I finally had this thought, well, maybe I should pray about this. <laughs> I know it should have occurred to me earlier, but it didn't. So finally I say to God, Lord, I think there's something wrong with me. He says, uh-huh. I said, do you know what it is? <laughs> it's a stupid question to ask God. Oh, really? Do you know what it is? He said, uh-huh. I said, well, will you tell me? He said, do you really want to know? Do you really? You know, when God asks you a question, it does make you think. He said, do you really want to know? And I'll tell you something. I laid there for several minutes wondering if I really wanted to know. Because denial is a beautiful thing. And so I laid there, and after about maybe four or five minutes, I said, Lord, I really want to know. And he goes, here's... Here's your struggle," he said. "John gave you thirty thousand dollars, and the problem is, is that you don't love yourself thirty thousand dollars worth, and you're afraid that if John gets to know you, he'll be sorry he gave you the money. <laughs> and then the Lord showed me a vision of myself. You know how? Have you ever seen your past where the Lord shows you just kind of mountaintops? And I saw, this is what the Lord told me. He said, every time someone loves you more than you love you, every time someone loves you more than you love you, you will sabotage your relationship with them. And the Lord showed me that I have spent most of my life sabotaging my relationship with people who love me more than I love me. And I realized, you know, here's an example Um, I would preach, my wife, who's my lover and my best friend, I would preach, and when I felt people... You know, the preachers will catch this, because I don't know if everyone's experienced this. But when I would feel people, when I would feel the congregation having a high value for me as I'm preaching, I could feel them draw off of me, and I could feel the value for me rise... I would I would cuss or use do something stupid to sabotage my message. And Kathy would say to me, Honey, that was an amazing message. Why did you say that? Why did you you say that stupid joke? Why did you and I go, oh, you know, that was no big deal. But I would I would shock people into not valuing me. I didn't Again, listen, I didn't know I was doing it. If you would have said to me 10 years ago, you know what, you sabotage your relationship with valuable people you really value. I would have said, you're crazy. But how many know when God shows you, it's a different thing? And so I realized, I I began to realize that everybody who I wanted to like me, like I had a high value for them, I would be afraid that if they got to know me, they wouldn't like me. So I would build a case against them before they had a chance to build a case against me so that I would reject them before they got a chance to reject me. I'm laying there as the sun's coming up in the morning. And the Lord says, the problem is, if you don't love yourself $30,000 worth, and you're afraid that if John gets to know you, he'll be sorry he gave you the money. I said, and I said, Lord, what do I do? He said, why don't you try this? Why don't you try loving you the way I love you? I don't know if this is touching anyone this morning. I had a totally different thing I was going to share this morning. Do you, do you understand that Jesus said, love your neighbor as... You love yourself? In America it doesn't make much sense cuz I don't like him and I don't like me. There's something am I making any sense? You guys are got that I don't know if you're, you got what that look is. Whatever that look is, you got it again. I got rid of it last night for you but it came back this morning. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know exactly how to like. There is something, and I, I've said it probably five different times already since I've been here. There is something about spiritualizing not liking yourself that allows not liking yourself to stay in us. Do you, do you know what I'm getting at? There's something about not feeling good about ourselves that somehow gets to stay in us because the. I was going to say the American church, but actually I've traveled quite a bit uh, overseas, and I see it's in the church. Like there's something about spiritualizing not liking yourself. Somehow the church has got this idea that you not liking you is spiritual. I think it's a misunderstanding, honestly, where Jesus said he who wants to save his life will lose it, and he who loves his life will lose you know if you love and Jesus is talking about like you loving yourself in a way that you become self-centered you loving your life in a way that you that you are not willing to lay it down for somebody else and i think that those verses kind of get skewed because they get propagated through a religious spirit now let me tell you something i talked about a religious spirit last night or sometime yesterday and the religious spirit the religious spirit is an evil spirit that wants to take the word of God and twist it so it works against you instead of for you. Are you getting this? And the reason why, you know, maybe I should just give you a little history. The devil was called Lucifer before he was ever called the devil. Lucifer means the illuminator, the one who illuminates or a light bearer. Lucifer said in the book of Ezekiel I will raise I will rise up I will I will I will ascend to the assembly of the Most High and I will be like God and God said no no you won't and he said no you'll actually be thrust down you'll actually be thrust down to hell and God thrust the devil down to hell for for trying to be like God are you with me I know this is really simple This morning, but I feel like if you could get the roots of it, you will understand why we struggle so much with self esteem and why I've spent four sessions on it. The devil gets thrust down to hell. He gets actually thrown down to the earth. And then he hears in the garden who who knows how long he's on the earth because the Bible says that the earth was formless and void. You know, before God began to create light and before God began to create on the earth, the earth was the devil's prison. It was formless and void, and the word formless and void there means with chaos. And so when the devil gets thrust down to the earth, he isn't thrust down to this beautiful planet. He's thrust down to a rock like Mars floating through the heavens. And all of a sudden he hears God say, let there be light. And who knows how long he lived on this planet. He may have lived here a million years, may have lived here a, a year. I don't know. He may have lived here a day. My thinking is that he probably lived here a billion years. And all of a sudden he hears, let there be light. And he begins to see God create. And he's like, oh, well maybe God relented. God's making my prison kind of comfortable. That's kind of cool. And then he hears these words, which were very tormenting. Let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. He's like, what's a man? Whatever it is, it's going to be in his own image, in God's own image, in God's own likeness. Now think about this. Why does that bother the devil? Well, how did he end up on the rock? He ended up on the rock by trying to be like God. Get this. God thrust the devil down to earth. It becomes his prison. There's a million billion planets we're finding out all over the place. Why does God put man on the same planet he puts the devil on? Because God wants to finish out his punishment. So what does God do? He creates... A seven billion people like him. The devil said, I will be like God. I'll rise up to the assembly and I'll be like God. I'll, I'll be just like God. God goes, no, you won't. You'll be thrust down to the earth. And then God goes, and then I'll make people like me who will torment you. <laughs> and not only that, but I'll raise them up and seated them. I'll seat them in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where did the devil want to sit? In heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Where did God send them? all the way to the planet. Then what did God do? He took the people He created on the planet and raised them up and seated them in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. (laughs) I don't know if you got all that. Do you understand that the devil cannot stop the Word of God? He He can't stop the most powerful weapon on the earth. But you know what he does? He twists it and he uses it against you. So he takes something Jesus said: he who wants to seek to save his life will lose it. And he goes, see, loving your life is, is wrong. And people are like, start they give in to that religious spirit and they forget that Jesus, who was born to be crucified, prayed the night before his crucifixion, hey, if there's another way to do this, did you get that? Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's supposed to be crucified. He was born to die for the world. And the night before he dies, what's he praying? Hey, you know, this seemed like a good idea from up here, but it doesn't seem like a very good idea down here. If, you can do, if we can do this another way, right? If it's possible, let this cut. Co- Listen, all I'm getting at is, the guy who was born to die for the world is praying that there be some other way. But Christians have this weird deal. We have this, we have this weird thing with death. It, it, we've taken, we've taken what Jesus meant by dying so you could live, and it's become sadistic, and death has become an end instead of an, a means to life. Did you get that? Listen, this is core of who we are, because it was even the joy set before him that Jesus endured a cross. He didn't endure the cross because he wanted to die. He tried to get out of dying. He prayed, Father. If there's a way to remove this cuff from me, please do it. But Christians play into this religious spirit and we're like, "God kill me. I'm just trying to die." It's weird. Listen, you don't realize how weird it is cuz you grew up in a religious culture who exalts death. Jesus said, I came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. The only thing you have to do is pass through death so you can get to life, and that's called baptism. Wow. Baptism, you already died. Do you understand that the cross was for the old man, not for the new man? You're the new man. You, you, whenever you're trying to crucify you, you're trying to crucify the guy who already died. But here's what I'm getting at. Do you understand that we create the way that we view the Bible is coming from a self-hatred that's deeply rooted in American culture? I'm telling you something. I'm telling you from my own experience. Christians don't like themselves. And they have created a a theological basis to keep that going in their life. Jesus, I mean, over and over, Jesus said, listen, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your brother as I love you. And we're like, we have this deal with death. We have this deal with not liking ourselves. Like, somehow we've made it okay to not like us. And I want to tell you something, that that is a doctrine of demons. And if you haven't figured that out after this fourth session, then i don't know what's going on in you. And the reason why I keep saying it over and over is because I figured out after having three, you know, the first three years, I had three years of of supernatural school. I mean, I have a school of ministry where I train people. One of the main things, I'm the founder of the school. And I'm training people how to walk in the supernatural. And I'm figuring out that being supernatural, being powerful and feeling like you hate yourself is incongruent. And I figured out that it doesn't matter how big of a gun you give somebody, they're not going to shoot it. Unless they feel like they have a divine purpose in doing so. I can't tell you how many days and nights I have laid awake at night frustrated over students that I have spent hours and hours and hours training and they don't do, nothing changes in their life. They don't pray for anyone when they get back to their home churches. Nothing changes when they're outside the four walls of the church. And it took some time to realize that people who feel like prisoners do not act like princes. Because because the gifts of the Spirit are the love language of God. So when someone gets prophesied over, they're kissed by God. When someone gets healed, they're embraced by God. When someone gets delivered, they have just had an intimate encounter with God. And what I'm, talking, what I'm saying is, is to display the love of God externally without experiencing it internally becomes incongruent and people will not flow in the gifts of the Spirit. And you know what they'll do? They will take the gifts of the Spirit and they will use them to punish people. I don't know if you got that. When you take people who haven't dealt with their own self-love issues and you equip them, they will use prophecy and they will call people's sins out. Do you know why they call people's sins out? Because you don't see the world as it is. You see the world as you are. And you begin to superimpose your self-hatred on other people. And I'll tell you something. You begin to see stuff in them. And, and discernment, the gift of discernment becomes suspicion. Why? Because the gift of discernment on the, in the wrong spirit is suspicion. And the most prophetic people on the planet are oftentimes the most suspicious people. Why? Because the, because the Holy Spirit has been dethroned by, this, by evil spirits. 1 John 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. Now, how many know that that book was written to the beloved? Which, is mean, which means you and me. The next verse says, For many false prophets have went out into the world. What's he saying? Beloved, don't become a false prophet by believing the wrong spirit. That means you can. Are you with me? What is the number one reason why people believe the wrong spirit? I'm telling you from experience. This is not someone else's experience. I wish I could tell you about someone else's experience. This is my experience. I could tell you why people believe the wrong spirit. Because they don't like themselves. And when you have self-hatred, you attract, hatred attracts evil spirits to you. Because the devil already hates you because you have what he wants. What is that? You were born in God's image. The very thing that He fell from. The very thing that, God, that He wanted from God, God gave to 7 billion people on the planet all at the same time. Why? To torment God's enemy. God never meant for the devil to torment you. He meant for you to torment Him. He's the one in prison. Hell was never made for man. It was made for the devil. Are you with me? But this issue of you loving you is really huge because if you don't love you, you will figure out different ways to punish you I don't know if i'm gonna, I may ruin my message for tomorrow because i but we'll just do it again in first peter Peter says this: God's opposed to the proud, but he gives. Grace to the humble. And then the next verse says what? Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he what? May exalt you. What's the rest of it? At the proper time. Okay, James says, humble yourself. James doesn't go through all that exercise, but he says, if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. Okay, follow me. Why is it that the only side of the message we preach is the humility side? but we don't preach what you get for being humble? I'm just giving you one example. Have you ever, have, have you, how many times have you heard a message on humility, but how many of you ever heard a message on living an exalted life? God said, if you humble yourself, I'll exalt you at the proper time. We go, well, that must be heaven. No? It's actually the glory on you that's going to draw the nations. I made that clear last night. So how many of us have heard messages on humility? How many of us have heard messages on living an exalted life? How many of you know that living an exalted life is a reward for humility? I asked our church the other day, this is probably two weeks ago, I said, could we develop a culture where people could live an exalted life? and not be crucified for it. Am I messing you up, or are you, just got, you, are you in a trance? Or? What I'm getting at is this. Do you, do you, I'm, saying, I'm saying more than one thing here. The first thing I'm saying is, do you realize that when you don't like you, you reinterpret the Scriptures to mean something that the Scriptures don't say? Or you emphasize just the side, just the side of the Scripture that punishes you? Are you with me? So when you don't like you, you will will yell one thing and whisper another. And you don't even realize you're doing it. Why? Because you don't see the Scriptures as they are either. You see the Scriptures as you are. And you're looking for reasons when you don't like you to make the Scriptures say that. Oh, brother, be careful. You know, that's how the devil fell. He exalted himself. No, actually, the devil fell by trying to be like God. You were born like God. I don't know if you just got that. You have what He tried to get. And you have it by creation. Not by performance. You, you can't even get it by performance because you already got it. <laughs> Are you with me? <laughs> that's a good word right there. I'm just telling you about my own journey. You know, I I've shared this example three times, and two times I got in trouble for it. But it's such a great example. <laughs> that when I feel comfortable, I just can't hardly help but share it. There are, there are single people who are 30, 40 years old, and they're still waiting for the right one. Now, first of all, let me make it really clear. There are people who are supposed to be single the rest of their life, that God created to be single the rest of their life. Paul makes it really clear. I would that you were like me. How do you know if you're supposed to be single or supposed to be married? Real clear, Paul said in the next verse, but if you burn with passion, then you better be married. What's the point? If you have a sex drive, get married. There's a good word right there. It's in the Bible, you know. Sorry if I offended anybody. Actually, sex is actually written in the Bible. It's whatever. I'm writing a, sex- I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book about sex, actually. I'm writing a book called From the Battlefield to the, to the Bedroom. It's a book about purity, about sexual purity. It's all through the Bible. It's just embarrassing in American culture. I was going to make a point out of it. Where is it going? Oh, about being married, yeah. So, if you, if you, um, there, are, there are people, did you hear me that there are people who are supposed to be single? No problem. Get that? So there's no pressure to get married if you're single here. So I'm addressing a certain segment of the single people. Are you with me? Those certain segments of the single people, male and female, they like, they're 40, 50 years old. I haven't found the right one yet. Dude there's 7 billion people on the planet. How can you not find the right one? I mean there's only male and female. And let me tell you what I'm thinking. I've watched this happen over and over. See it's like people get in a relationship in fact I'm 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 right now counseling a couple that I that are close to me through this whole this exact deal. People, they get in a relationship, and here's what happens. See, when you don't like yourself... Now, most of us don't go, I don't think I like myself. There's a few of us that do that. But most of us don't know we don't like ourselves. Or we like ourselves very little. What happens when we get in a relationship with somebody? Suddenly they start to have a value for us. And when they break through the outer boundaries of our smile, and we can perform out here... We went on a date. Did you have fun? I had fun. Right? But what happens when we start getting deeper? I'm not talking about sexual relationship now, okay? I'm talking about a pure relationship. What happens when someone breaks the boundaries of the external places where we can smile and perform? And they begin to get to know us. What are we afraid they're going to do? We're afraid that they're going to see what we think we see in us. And what do we do? we began to figure out 48 reasons why I don't like them. Are you with me? Because I can't love you more than I love me. You say, well, yes, I can. No, you can't. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I can't give you what I don't have. If I possess it in this temple, it works on me before it ever works in you. Are you with me? So what I watch happen is couples get together and they, you know, it's fun. They're having the fun session. They can still, they learn to like, you learn to smile and keep people out here. But what happens when they begin to to break the intimate barriers? Again, I'm not talking about immorality or anything. I'm talking about, you know, what happens before you get married is you begin to get to know each other. And suddenly, I start to think about things I don't like about you. Now, sometimes those things are true, but what's the real issue? The real issue is, I don't want you to get to know me because I'm afraid that you'll see what I see in me and you won't like me. So I can't find the right person. No, because there was never one born for you. People like us that have these struggles were really good givers. But what can't we do? Receive. Why? Because receiving means that I have to let you give to someone who doesn't deserve it. And what happens when somebody who doesn't deserve it gets stuff Then they begin to self-destruct because they know that you just gave them something that they, you just gave a guilty party something that they shouldn't have. I'm telling you, it's one reason why people are sick when Jesus died for their bodies already. Especially autoimmune diseases. You know what autoimmune diseases, for instance, like lupus. Listen, I'm not saying all lupus. I'm not saying all autoimmune. I'm just giving you some ideas. Are you with me? See, the white blood cells are supposed to protect you, and so they defend enemies. They defend you against enemies, right? They defend you against, against things that will destroy you. Well, here's the deal. If you hate you, you tell your white blood cells that you're the enemy. Because the white blood cells are programmed to destroy enemies. But what happens when you say, I am? I deserve punishment. I don't like me. What happens? The white blood cells get the message and they just start destroying the person they're supposed to be protecting because you told them that you're the enemy. And then you pray for somebody who has an autoimmune disease. And what happens? Typically they get healed. But you know what happens three months later? They're sick again. Because the problem isn't originated in their body. It's originated in their spirit. Remember when Jesus prayed, and I'm sorry, when Peter and John, when he, they healed the man at the gate beautiful, he walked, he leaped, and he praised God. What did he do? He walked. He got physically healed. He leaped. He got emotionally healed. And he praised God. He got spiritually healed. How many know that God wants to heal the triune man? But our struggle is that we only see single dimensionally. So we pray for someone, they get well, but five months later, two months later, a week later, their sickness is back because we forget to ask why it's there. Are you, are you following me? So this has been my journey. Like, you know, I'm a monument to like, hey, I don't like me. If you would have asked me, though, I wouldn't have known that. Listen, here's the part that's really hard to communicate because it doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. There's this conscious mind, but underneath there is your unconscious mind, like where your spirit lives. And down below the surface of a happy smile and, you know, a great relationship with my wife and my kids, down below that is a guy, was a guy who was really, like, really had a law of self-hatred. And mine was rooted in a father. You know, my father drowned when I was three. And you know what little kids think when their parents die? See, when the kid's little, a child at three doesn't know what death is. They just know their dad's gone. And there's a weird thing that happens in them, and I believe it's coming from the spirit of the power of the air, whose name is the devil. He convinces little children, your dad doesn't like you, that's why he left. It happens in divorce too. When children, their mother, or their father leave, you know they, they think they are the problem. Talk to kids out of divorce, little kids out of divorce marriages. What do, who do they think the their fault? Whose fault do they think it is? I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, they think it's their fault or at least they're a part of the problem. Why? Because the devil gets in there, and what is he trying to do? He's trying to steal their identity. Do you, you understand his whole? How did Adam and Eve, I talked to you about this last night, how did Adam and Eve fall in the garden? They tried to get through performance what they already had through creation. The devil convinced them that they weren't like God so that they had to do something to be like God. Do you understand that it's the, the, the identity crisis is the devil's work? He wants to convince you that you are not sons and daughters of the king. Once he convinces you of that, everything else falls like dominoes. You won't perform like the king. You won't act like the king. You won't love like the king. You won't do anything like the king as long as you don't know you're the king's son. Are you getting this? But once you know you're the king's son, guess what happens? The dominoes start to stand up again. That's why when I do supernatural clinics... I spend two-thirds of the time talking about who you are because I can teach you in one hour how to do stuff. But if you don't know who you are, you'll never do it. Are you getting this? So my father drowned when I was three, and I was convinced that he left. It's my fault. And then I had two stepfathers, and I told you this story. He didn't like me. When the person... See, your father gives you your identity. Your father teaches you who you are your mother their, your your father teaches you about the love of god your mother teaches you your your mother teaches you about honor your father teaches you about love when the person who's supposed to teach you about love doesn't like you it sends a very strong message to you. It is very difficult to get past unless you have a supernatural encounter. And that message says, you are not worthy to be loved. And once you put, that over your, once you put those glasses on, you will see it everywhere. You'll see it in the Bible. The love letter to you will not even read like a love letter anymore. It will it'll read like a letter where God's tolerating you. And the only passage you, that will pop out to you are the ones that validate the glasses that are over your eyes. But once we get rid of those glasses, we peel them off our face, the world comes alive. I want to tell you, this is a true story. My wife could attest to this. Five years ago, I pulled those glasses off of my face and I didn't realize how beautiful the world was. I never realized it. I didn't get it. And God set up all these encounters. You know, what I told you last, the first day, you know, my my secretary who said, you're killing the people you're supposed to be leading. People value you. Don't you understand people value you? I couldn't get people valued me. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get someone actually wanted to be with me. It didn't make sense to me. People would give me money for speaking. I'd give it all away. Oh, sounds spiritual. No, it wasn't coming from generosity. It was coming from not being able to receive, not wanting to have anybody say I have value. Making sure that I didn't have value. It was weird. I could minister to poor people really well. You know why? I identify with their brokenness, but I couldn't minister to a wealthy person. I could minister to the down and out because I felt totally, but I couldn't minister to the up and out because they intimidated me because I felt like they're they're better than me. I'm sorry if this is a little too intense or whatever it is for you. But God wants to deliver us from that spirit. He wants to take it off of us. He wants, us, he wants us to realize, listen, He really, really does love you. And by the way, He likes you too. And He created you, listen to this, this will get you. He created you for His pleasure. He thinks, I, I know this is hard to believe. He thinks you're amazing. He said this, He said, I'm going to make my house an everlasting pride. There is a positive pride. God takes pride in you. He goes, have you considered my sons? Have you considered my... Do you understand that you're the best thing he's ever created? Have that thought for a minute. You could fly a billion miles into the universe and you will never find anyone as amazing as you. Because according to the scripture, he never made anything better than you. You are the best, his best work. Because you are the only thing he modeled after him. Did you get all that? Huh. Yep. It's the truth. It's funny, you know, how serious we take ourselves, and how God. I was just thinking about my granddaughter. Um, last year, my my uh, daughter in law got in a real serious car accident, and she was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. So we had the, we had three of my my kids, and my granddaughter, Riley, is. Full of spunk. She's like uh, born to be a leader or something. And and knows it. And she's the little blonde Brillo pad girl. So she walks around and she thinks that, you know, she's, how old is she now? Five. But she thinks that she was anointed to tell everyone else what to do. So she's staying at our house and and, uh, Kathy's taking a nap. And uh, we're, watching the three, we're watching the three kids, and Kathy's taking a nap. And so Riley, we, there's, there's six steps up to, our, up to our bedroom. And so I'm in the front room just kind of hanging out, watching football or something. And Riley starts going up the steps to our bedroom where Kathy's taking a nap. I said, Riley, Riley, do not go up there, Grandma's sleeping. She said, Grandma said I could. I said, well, I said you can't. She said, well, Grandma said I could. And she steps up to the next step. I said, Riley, she says, under her breath, Grandma said I could. And she goes up to the next step, and the next step. So she gets to the fifth step. I said, Riley, Kate, if you you open that door, you and I are going to have a serious conversation. She said, Grandma said I could. (laughs) And she steps up to the platform. And she grabs a hold of the handle. I said, Riley, if you open that door, I am going to paddle your butt. She says, Grandma said I could. (laughs) And she turns the knob and she turns around and she stares at me. (laughs) So I stand up and I said, you better think about what it's going to cost you to push that door open. Because I guarantee you, it's going to be a memory. <laughs> she goes like this, stares right at me. and She says, Grandma, said I could. I said, all right, well, think about that. She stands there like 30 seconds staring at me with the most evil look she could even figure out to put on. And I did the same. And we just stared at each other for about 30 seconds. And finally, she lets go of and she stomps down the stairs, and every step, Grandma said I could, Grandma said I could. <laughs> I thought, you are so cute. We're in Home Depot. We're, Kathy and I are in Home Depot, and my son comes in. He doesn't know we're in there. And he's got Riley with him and Elijah. And so he says to Riley, so... He sees me, he goes, hey dad, so we're talking in the aisle and you gotta understand, Riley, like, if you close your eyes for 20 seconds, she's gone so he, he says to Riley Riley, you stand right here while I'm talking to Papa, alright so he turns and he starts talking to me, and he looks up and she's about to the sound booth away and he goes, Riley Riley, Kate, come back here she goes, I'm being blown by the wind I'm being blown by the wind <laughs> And so he goes, you're in trouble. I've been blown by the wind. i am been blown by the wind. He finally ran after her and caught her. Gave her a revelation bump. You know, aren't we so hard on ourselves, you know? Like, God says, don't do that. We're like, Holy Spirit said I could. You touch that door, it's going to have serious consequences. Holy Spirit said I could. And we just like, just, I don't know if you're getting where I'm getting at. It's like, I don't think the Lord goes, you're cute, but I also don't think he takes it so seriously as we do. I think the Lord, I think he enjoys this. Last week, we're driving along and we have Elijah in the, in the truck and he goes, Papa, oh yeah, he goes, how did I get out of my mother's stomach? I'm like, I'm thinking, he goes, I said, what? He said, how did I get out of my mother's stomach? I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of a good answer, you know, he's six. So he, hear, he kind of can feel my stall, and he goes, did she poop me out? <laughs> I know he's thinking like scientifically here. I'm like, no. And then he goes, he's sitting in the back seat and he goes, well, if she didn't poop me out, then she peed me out. (laughs) And he goes, did she? I said, I don't know. Ask your dad. I mean, don't you just enjoy your kids? It's not you know, they mess up. It's not, it's not a big deal. It's so, like, oh, i got to do 40 days of fasting because I, I lied under pressure. God's all, yeah, don't do that again. That was really stupid. But it's like we just take ourselves so seriously. It's like everything's a big deal. Oh my goodness. I failed. Yep, you did. How that work out for you? <laughs> like you're a perpetual spanking. <laughs> I know there's another side to this story. All I'm getting at is like, I don't know, lighten up, get over yourself. You're, you're, you know, it's not that big a deal. You won't realize what I did. No, you don't realize what he did. His blood covered anything you've ever done and anything you will ever do. And, um, okay, well, I just said that so many different ways that I I ran out of examples. (laughs) So why don't you stand up and let's see if I can come up with a prayer to help you. That's so funny, you know. I told you that Bill and I have been together for 29 years, and Bill's a fifth-generation pastor. Fifth-generation pastor. I'm a first-generation screw-up. Bill's like the holy man. I'm like the semi-holy man. See what I mean? Like, well, you do know what I mean, because Bill's been here lots of times, you know. It's like... It's like, if you hear Bill does something wrong, it's shocking. Like, oh my God, Bill did something wrong. It's not so surprising when other people do. You know, Bill's just human. He's not perfect. It's really close, though. Let me just pray for you. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I just want to see something. How many of you deal with the issues I was talking about this morning? You're dealing with them in your own life. Would you raise your hand? Don't look up. Just raise your hand. Oh, okay. Well, most of you. Maybe that's why I changed my message this morning. Just, You know, this wasn't really a teaching. This is just a fatherly talk. I have these at home a lot, so don't usually do it on the road. But, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in us. Lord, I thank you for your love that so invades our hearts and our lives that it transforms us. And Father, I pray this morning that for everyone...